Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, all and sundry. Um, beautiful day here in Florida. I uh, was out on the golf course this morning. And, uh, of course, if you watched me play golf, you would wonder why I was out on the golf course. Uh, I guess I'm not that bad for just playing for uh, a few months. But golf courses tend to be beautiful places. And this particular golf course is uh, on the Atlantic Ocean, between the intercoastal and the Atlantic Ocean, uh, down in southeast Florida, and just the most gorgeous place. And the weather down here, now that we have what's called the dry season, and it's fairly cool, low humidity, was just so unbelievably gorgeous that when we finished playing, I really would have liked to continue playing uh, uh, for, the, for the rest of the day. But... Life has to move on, and uh, here I am to discuss the stories we live by again. And again, uh, this is the third in a, in a series that I hope will lead up to uh, my interview with, um, hi Marion, uh, I hope will lead up to my interview with Stella Levi next week, who is a uh, Holocaust survivor, uh, Holocaust victim, and I want to talk about that, that word victim today, and um um, I, I sense that uh, that may not come off next week. Uh, I don't know whether I'm, I'm reading into her, but I wanted to have her on much sooner than uh, next week. Uh, I had spoken to her. It's a full month ago, and she delayed it and delayed it. And I'm not sure she quite knew who I was or what this was about. But hopefully it'll work out because I think it'll be a good story. Now, in the first of these Three, I talked about the importance, I think, to me of, of, and, and the people I've worked with over the years of coming to own your own history, to own your own story, to own your own identity. And by telling the identity, telling the story, uh, a self is created that is the teller. And the self now, standing in the safety of adulthood uh, and standing, hopefully, with someone who listens non-judgmentally, um, and here is where I do think the correct type of professional help can really be of tremendous aid, although this can be carried off, uh, this, this telling and the framework of non-judgmental, sympathetic listening. To be, uh, doesn't have to be a professional, it could be with friends, it could be uh, with any circle of individuals. Uh, I, I prefer to see self-help groups, and someday I have to talk about that, um, there are self-help groups all over the place, and if they don't have their own peculiar agendas and people do uh, listen non-critically and acceptingly to somebody who tells their story, it can be an enormous help in their owning that story. And then last week, uh, two weeks ago, I delayed last week till this week, um, I, I talked about scapegoats. And the fact that I don't ever have, I never have worked with anybody who didn't get diagnosed as disturbed and severely disturbed, who wasn't in one way or another a scapegoat. Uh, what my colleague uh, Lou Wynn refers to as a black sheep of the family or a black sheep of society. And uh, I must say, uh, uh, speaking of black sheep, uh, the word black may never have the same meaning again in the United States. Uh, now that a man with dark skin uh, referred to as black has become the president of the United States, president-elect, uh, 
and I feel like some long nightmare of American history may be coming to an end, although I really do hope he doesn't take seriously the expectations placed upon him. Let me spend a couple of seconds on this, I mean, because I think it's so interesting. Um, there are people sending me messages as if this was the arrival of the Messiah. And bad things can happen to people if they really do uh, succumb to the idea that they are some kind of a god and some kind of a power over and above the rest of us. I mean, this is just another thin man, and he's very bright, and I think he's sharp, and I think um, his instincts are on the side of decency, uh, but he's just a person. And I'm reminded that uh, during the Middle Ages, the kings of England, of France, the, the, the great monarchs who lived with such unbelievable power being uh, addressed as your majesty, uh, your lordship, and all of the other terms of, of, uh, that were accorded them, had next to them, at most of the time, a fool. And the way the fools are described in the movies, or depicted in the movies, in modern times is a silly thing, you know, a silly little goofball. But these were very serious individuals. Well, their role was very serious. And their role was to remind the king all times, Majesty, thou art mortal. Uh, you know, you fart. You have bad breath. Uh, you know, you, 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 you go to the bathroom like the rest of us. Uh, and I think that's incredibly important. And I hope that uh, uh, Barack Obama... Uh, can remember that uh, he's mortal and not take seriously the demands being made upon him to literally save the United States and maybe even save Western civilization and indeed save the whole damn world because uh, that can crush It cannot crush you but turn you into a monster, somebody who starts to take seriously that you are more perfect and better than other people. And with that, uh, and with that, I really would like to go back to the theme of today's show, because it does relate what I'm saying in a way. Uh, and that is, uh, when somebody starts to own their story, they can start to retell their story. They can step outside and start to, I hate the word heal, uh, or be cured, because I don't believe that uh, the most disturbed, and I use that putting in quotes as where I'm making the moral judgments, the most miserable and unhappy, confused, screwed up individuals or individuals living screwed up lives um, need to be cured. The great majority of them do not need a doctor. They need a retelling of their story from another vantage point, from, from, from a perspective where they can examine and uh, own the story and then make choices. And what I want to talk about is the fact that when somebody comes to a therapist or when somebody ends up being diagnosed seriously depressed or schizophrenic, that terrible word, uh, when, when, when they are diagnosed, it is usually because they have been convinced and accept the idea that they're somehow really defective, um, that they're the ugliest person that has ever lived, that they're the stupidest or they just shouldn't have been born. And this becomes very much a part of their vocabulary, and it becomes the driving force of their story. Such individuals feel unloved and unlovable and act as if they are unlovable. 
uh, they withdraw from relationships. It's the old uh, Groucho Marx story. I would never join any club that would have me. Uh, in other words, although Groucho was being self-deprecating. And I think Woody Allen used that same line, but I'm not sure. Uh, but in any event, it, it's this business. Anybody who would love me must have something wrong with them, so therefore they're mistaken in their love for me, and I couldn't love them back. Uh, and to, to, to believe you're really defective uh, is to live in a kind of an airless world. Uh, there are no choices. It's just the putting up with. Uh, but under those circumstances, drugs, alcohol, uh, even psychiatric drugs become a palliative. They become a kind of a Band-Aid. And, and drugs, uh, well, you know, I'm not talking about a glass of wine that makes dinner more interesting. I'm talking about real drinking and real drugs and living on drugs to shut down your higher thinking and, and so you don't think these, quote, bad thoughts about yourself and other people, um, or you shut down all of your emotions at the same time and live in this kind of an airless uh, existence. Uh, avoiding all of the pleasures in life, because if you really are defective, you don't deserve to have pleasure. Not only love, you don't deserve a good job. You don't deserve a good education. Uh, there must be something wrong with me. I could never go to school. I could never apply for a kind of a job or a career uh, that would give me uh, a real income and a real life. And so um, when people come... And this has been, I, I want to talk about the progression that often happens when people do tell their story in ways that allow them some distance, uh, allow them to change the story. Um, what they begin to do, at least with, with me when I was working with people, and I still try to do with people, is uh, stop using the label. Stop using your judgments. I don't want to hear how crazy you are. I don't want to hear how screwed up you are. I don't want to hear it. It doesn't go anywhere. You're going around in a circle. You're putting your head up your own ass. You're, you're, you're flying around like the legendary yutz bird of yore. You know what the yutz bird is? A giant bird that was born in the Andes Mountains of South America. And one arm, or one, arm, one wing was longer than the other. And it takes only one flight. It begins to fly out of its nest when it's old enough. And uh, has to lay an egg. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any more yutz birds. And then because one wing is longer, it begins to go in ever-diminishing circles until it disappears up its own butt. And that's the end of the short, sad life of the Yutzbird. And many people's stories have them running around in smaller and smaller circles trying to escape from something that they don't understand. And what they're trying to escape from are these labels and this, this definition of themselves as they're defective. Uh, in some significant, serious, permanent way. Right? Uh, so, when they begin to tell the story, using non-judgmental terms, uh, under the guidance of, I want to know what happened to you. Tell me events. Right? Uh, you know, uh, kids very often don't talk about events when they're younger. Uh, what happened in school today, you ask your uh, youngster? Nothing. Uh, well, what they really mean is nothing important or nothing I think you want to listen to. And that's another thing here that, that, that comes up. If you really ask someone to tell about their life or their story, you have to listen. Otherwise, don't ask. All you're doing then is, is uh, setting them up for another failure and setting them up for another round of self-hatred. 
of despair, of hopelessness. And um, as the person begins to talk about the events of their life, uh, things that they may have never put into words or things they didn't even dare think about because they're censoring themselves, because they're looking uh, other than at the actual events of their life, what begins to emerge is a description, almost always, of some form of victimization, some form of abuse in which they were powerless to either redefine the situation or escape from the situation. And children cannot escape from the situations of their life uh, as defined by adults. They don't have the ability to escape from the politics of abusive relationships. They simply don't. That's why we call them children. And so as they begin to discuss these events, and, and it's so amazing, uh, you listen to somebody talk about horrendous abuse, physical, sexual abuse, neglect. They'll talk about it in a monotone. Absolutely no emotion very often. It's as if they're talking about someone else or telling a story about someone else. And it's only when they feel safe enough to start to feel the emotions, and I've spoken about this in the last couple of weeks, that they very often become terrified. And if they start to show emotion, that's when they start to often terrify their listener, who says, boy, well, I better write a prescription for more of the uh, drug. Look how depressed and angry this person really is. Without recognizing or, or, or escaping from the situation in which the anger, the rage, the self-hatred that is being, that is being uh, expressed uh, is necessary. And it's necessary to stay with it because that's the only way the person can own it. Because if they get frightened themselves, they go right back into the same, I hate myself, I'm no good shell. Uh, bearing the emotion, more drugs, more alcohol, more psychiatric medicine, another round of being a prisoner of those who would continue to abuse them as adults in the name of helping them. Uh, that's a very big piece. Very often people who abuse children physically uh, do it for the child's good. I'm doing this for your own good. Um, parent who hits a child and says, this hurts me more than it hurts you. That is one of the most confusing things anybody could ever say. I once had a doctor who gave me a shot and said, this won't hurt. Uh, man, it was one of these uh, shots many years ago, an antibiotic shot in my hip. It had to be done intramuscularly. Man, did that hurt. And I looked at him and I said, it didn't hurt you. It sure as hell hurt me. And he got upset about that. He didn't want it to hurt me. A nice guy. He didn't want it to hurt, but it did hurt. And he injected it not because it really wasn't for my own good, but because it hurt. And when people say to children, this doesn't hurt, when it does hurt, it causes terrible anxiety and confusion. They can't figure out what's going on, and it adds to there really must be something wrong with That if I am uh, um, being hurt this way, and my parents, who are the source of information, or teachers, or doctors, or adults, tell me I'm wrong about this, then uh, there really must be something wrong with me. There really must be some basic uh, uh, problem with me. 
and then it adds to the, again ang- massive anxiety, which is the emotion that says. I'm screwing with my own head. I'm not believing my own eyes or ears. I'm believing something that I know on some level I can't believe. What begins to emerge then is a shift in the story of the individual. No longer do they keep insisting that they're a good person when they really believe they're a bad person. Oh, by the way, I I really should back up. Anybody who comes in over the years to work with me started out with what a good person they are. Nothing ever happened. They're a good person. They're depressed. There was no reason. Their life was perfect. It was wonderful. As they move from everything was perfect and they're so wonderful to they're a piece of shit and they should never have been born, uh, the emotions then begin to come and they move towards a state of victimhood. And it's in many ways easier to be a victim than to be imperfect. There is some air. There's some light. The stories that emerge very often now shift the blame of what happened from themselves to the individuals that hurt them. And I'm not just talking about children with parents or abusive uh, uh, guardians. Um, It's amazing when you hear uh, people who came out of the camps blame themselves for what happened to them. They were responsible. Uh, Often religion plays a nasty role here. Uh, If God didn't want this to happen, he wouldn't have let it happen. And what does God must think of me? What kind of a person, what kind of sins I must have committed uh, that God would make this happen to me? Uh, Again, I don't... ...with people's religion, um, but uh, it has to be done. I mean, sometimes you have to introduce or intrude into these stories... Uh, you're going to have to hold on one second. Call um, Yeah, I'm sorry. My daughter is trying to call in. My son is coming in this afternoon by plane. I think he just landed. And uh, I have to add another line to my uh, house here. Uh, I didn't want to do it, but I have to add a line just to do this show. I used to always have a separate line for my professional life. And now that I don't have a professional life except for the show, I don't want to pay for a second uh, phone. I could use a cell phone, but they don't really work well. They're, they're absolutely, uh, they work well, you know, under certain circumstances. But uh, after a while, uh, they are unreliable. Uh, I don't like to uh, have 30 or 40 minutes uh, except on a landline. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, when, when the person begins to realize uh, that they were a victim because they described the situation. Uh, this is what I was done. Uh, as one young lady uh, said to a person that I was supervising, uh, she went from no good to the fact that she would describe that when her father uh, was angry with her, and of course it took a while for her to understand the sexual implications, uh, he would strip her naked and he would put handcuffs on her and hang her from a hook uh, in the basement and he would begin to burn various parts of a body with an exposed electric light bulb. I mean, uh, when you hear stories like this, you see, uh, and you realize uh, calling her mentally ill for all of the unhappy behaviors that she engaged in, including her victimization of others, which I want to get to in a moment. Uh, but this, this kind of, of uh, torture that went on through much of her childhood with her blaming herself and really believing that um, uh, she was the bad one. She was 15 when this all came out, 
and uh, my supervisee was in court, and the judge said to her, I'm not going to allow your father to do this anymore. Uh, and he put his father in jail. Uh, the father was prosecuted, uh, and she was removed from the home. And the kid was 15. She broke down. No, no, my daddy is good. He was just punishing me because I'm bad. And it took many months of work for her to uh, add to the story exactly what it is she did that was bad other than get the father upset, you see. And she sooner or later began to see that the father's being upset had nothing to do with her. It had to do with his own rage, his own inadequacies, his own unhappiness, his own anger. It had nothing to do with her. She was the victim. She was the sexual uh, 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 object of his cruelty, of his sadism. And at that point, she really began to hate him. And it generalized she hated all men. And, and this kind of a thing is easier to live with than I hate myself and I deserve nothing. But it leads to all kinds of very serious problems. Uh, yes, it's true. The person can give up thinking that they're God or that Jesus Christ or that uh, they're perfect in some way. They can accept that they are a human being who's been hurt. But very often now, the person that did it to them is the monster. And revenge becomes an issue. And hurting other people now becomes tolerable. I think I mentioned once before, some years ago, uh, a, a cartoon that was my, one of my favorites uh, that I lost when I made a, one of my moves, either from, uh, well, it doesn't matter where I lost it. It bothers me. That uh, guy standing over another guy and his fists are up. And the guy on the floor has stars circulating around his head. He's obviously been punched real hard. And he's now on the ground, and he holds up his hand, and he says to the person who's hit him, okay, okay, you're right, you're the victim. The, the problem with being vic in the victim phase, uh, which I think is a necessary step for moving from being imperfect, is that you do start to take revenge. And indeed, the father who abused the child is often an individual who still thinks of himself as defective, but sees himself as the victim. And it's, you did this to me, poor me. Uh, that's an old great joke, by the way, I think that has truth. The bartender, every bartender knows that uh, one of the stories he's going to listen to that night is, poor me, pour me a drink. Um, Self-pity, I think, is one of the ugliest, ugliest of emotions. And people will pity themselves uh, if nobody else provides them sympathy. And there is, I think, you can agree or disagree, a difference between pity and sympathy. In sympathy, you feel a hope for the individual that is hurt. In pity, it's they're dying, or they're dead, or they're gone. It's hopeless. So pity, I think, is a very ugly emotion in the, in the interaction between people when hope is what is called for. I can move. I can make choices. I have to get out of this particular role that I'm in. Uh, I have to change the story. I have to change the character I am in the story. I have to either help change the characters who are currently in my story or as the young lady who called in last week who now lives with other people than her family, find people who will be characters in my life story. In, in, in interaction with me, where there will be hope, where there will be 
promise, where there will be a, a, a movement and uh, genuine sympathy when I'm hurt and support and love, real love, where people will care about me and that I can care about in return. If progress continues to be made, then a person moves to that state I have talked about many, many times in which they are a character in a story that's part and parcel of the lives of others, and yet at the same time, their own individual being. And that sets up all of the conditions to uh, replace powerlessness with a sense of power, fear with a sense of, of uh, fearlessness, of, of what might be termed judgmentally courage, where an individual now can tell completely different kind of a story and create a story in which they choose the ending of their story to the degree that this can be done. You see? Um, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to uh, write about my story. I'm going to go on uh, Simon's show, and I'm going to tell my story. I'm going to do this because I want to help other people, and I want to help myself. All of these changes lead to the point where the individual no longer has to feel sorry for themselves or call themselves names and act as if they're somehow some, some, ugly, some ugly, defective being that um, doesn't deserve any of the good things in life that they see others around them enjoying. That becomes a time when there is real life when there's real hope, when there's a real sense of purpose in life, where there's a goal and a reason to get up in the morning and to struggle rather than to cry and say, what's wrong with me and I'm no good and I'm defective and the world is filled with shithead people uh, because all of that is true. The world is filled with people who want revenge on others who might be weaker than themselves who had nothing to do with their own victimization. There are people who look for scapegoats uh, and to be creative in hurting others rather than creative in helping others. It's a tough world, and I don't want to minimize that at all. But uh, what I wanted to talk about today is this movement that can take place when somebody does start to reorganize their life story, when they move away from labels to actual description when the description allows them to step outside of their own life history that they've been living in, what living in and denying ever happened, split away from, cut away from the emotions of that story. And they recognize that life has been unfair, that from the time they were 15 or 16 or 17, they've been saying, why me? Uh, and coming up with answers that are, well, it must be me, because there must be no one else that did it and then moving towards, it was me because others hurt me. And then ultimately coming to some understanding that there's nobody here but people. And very often that the hurt that people have done to them was a perpetuation of the hurt that was done to them, which now the individual as revenge-seeking victim is doing to others. And that breaks the cycle. And that allows an, an individual, in my experience, uh, personal and otherwise, to begin to create new stories, to create new recipes, to create new life, 
uh, and to live in a way where there is a sense of power, where there is a sense of hope, where there is uh, all kinds of good stuff, uh, until, you know, life once again kicks you in the Labants. Um, uh, somebody told me a story just recently of somebody who struggled to overcome many difficulties and was, and then ended up uh, recently with a serious cancer uh, that probably they will not live to cure. Uh, life ultimately ends in death. And the question is not, will we die? Uh, to me, that's a given. I will die. The question is, how much life will I have between now and the moment I do die? How many good golf games? How many good shows can I do on blog talk radio? Uh, how many nice dinners can I have? I'm going to meet my son tonight. In fact, uh, I originally put 45 minutes in for this show. I think it's now about uh, 29 minutes or so. I think I'm going to say goodbye in a minute or so because... I want to get dressed and uh, go out for a good dinner with my son. I haven't seen him now in several months and uh, have a nice bottle of wine with it. Uh, how much good life can there be? Uh, how many good politics can we participate in? Uh, how much good sex can I still get into my life? Uh, all kinds of good stuff that involves me as an individual and you as an individual and yet forming relationships that make us part of something uh, that's together and even larger than ourselves. It's nice to see how many people feel during this election and right after that they're part of being Americans again, that they're not ashamed, that there's some air and light and discussion and intelligence. Uh, whether or not it continues is another story. I certainly hope it will. So if there are no callers, nobody called in today, and, uh, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, next week, with a little bit of luck, I really hope that I will have uh, Stella Levi on to tell her story and the story of the, young, the, the, the man uh, who also, as a younger man than herself, survived Auschwitz, the concentration camp. And I can pull a lot of these threads together in my discussion with them, test the validity, and uh, see where that goes. So, Marion, and others who might be listening or will listen, I bid you adieu, have a good day, and I will be talking to you. And again, anybody who hears this and likes it, give the damn show a five. I discover that once somebody rates it with a decent rating, even though I'm asking for it, uh, more and more people listen to it. Otherwise, it sort of goes by the board and competes with all kinds of other shows, some of which are terrific on this um, on this network, and some of which are, to me, uh, I can't even imagine. But anyway, thank you, Marion. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Good night. Hasta luego.